Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. A blessed Sunday to you all. Welcome to our English worship service. And to those who are joining us online, worshiping at home, we also welcome you to our online service. We're glad that you can join us today. Today we are going to continue on our journey through the book of the prophet Isaiah. You know, last week, uh, I wasn't here, so I watched it online. Pastor Benson told us of the unfortunate predicament of the Jews as they were being held captured in Babylon. And while they were living as slaves there, suffering, God reminded them that He's the God who cares. He's the God who is able, and He commanded them to wait on Him. Why? For God always does what He says and always keeps His promises. Diba, Pastor Benson, that's your big idea? And he promises to one day rescue them from Babylon, bring them back to Jerusalem, and rebuild their city, their ruined city. You know, God gave them these promises to comfort his people. That's why the very first verse of chapter 40, comfort, comfort. But, but what if God's, plan, God's rescue plan is something the people did not expect it to be. Something so unlikely, so improbable, so surprising for God to do, at least in the eyes and understanding of His people. You see, for the most part, in the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament prophets and prophecies always talk about a certain Messiah who God will send one day to free his people from whatever bondage they are in. They keep on promising of a Messiah. But here in chapter 45, which laid out God's rescue plan for his people who are exiled in Babylon and his plan to rebuild Jerusalem, God actually gave them a name of his chosen deliverer. Minsan lang yang mangyari. There's a specific name whom God will use to deliver his people. And that name is not the name Jesus. Instead, that name is Cyrus. Cyrus. Okay, this was actually first revealed in chapter 44. The last verse of chapter 44, it says, next slide, Sabidon, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built. And of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. And then it continues through the whole chapter of 45, explaining what will happen. In verse 1, it says, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. Wow. You know, I don't know about you, but you know, to its original readers and to many Christians, these two verses will be quite shocking to hear. It will be quite shocking. Why? Because there's a name, Cyrus. And what's this name, Cyrus? Who's this Cyrus? He's a pagan king, a pagan. And yet, a pagan king was given 
by God the title of my shepherd. And not only shepherd, also anointed. You know, the description of shepherd is usually just reserved in the Bible to describe who? Shepherd usually describe who? God himself. And the term anointed is usually how the Bible describes the coming Messiah, the Savior. At the very least, God calls the anointed ones, uh, Israel, Israel's priests, high priests, and kings as anointed of God. But here, in chapters 44, 45 of Isaiah, God calls an idol-worshipping king his anointed. Can you imagine that? Kumagalaw. Imagine, sige, imagine you attended one Sunday worship here in UECP and then you find out that our speaker is a Buddhist monk. Imagine. Can you imagine? Magulat na lang kayo. Imagine if Psalm 23 read, Cyrus is my shepherd, I shall not want. Kaya niyo bang lunukin yon? You now understand the gravity of the situation, the seriousness of this scandalous revelation. How can this be? Is this true? Maybe it is a scribal error, nagkamali lang ng sulat. Who is this Cyrus? What made God choose him to be Israel's liberator? No, there must be some kind of mistake. Baka may mali lang dyan. Of all people among God's people, there's Ezra, there's Nehemiah, there's Joshua. The heck? Nandyan pa si Daniel, tama ba? Buhay pa si Daniel noong time na yon. But hindi na lang siya. Why Cyrus, the pagan king of Persia, a worshiper of the idol Marduk? Why him of all people? Let's keep our Bibles open to Isaiah 45 and understand what God wants his people to learn by choosing Cyrus to be his anointed liberator. We just read from verse 8 to 13, but actually our passage for today is starting from verse 1 up to 13. So if you have your Bibles with you, whether papel man yan or digital, I want you to keep it open. Okay, as we go through this, and we better understand why. Why would God choose an idol-worshipping king to be his deliverer? You know, to better appreciate this passage, let us learn first who this Persian king is. Sino ba to? Sino ba si Cyrus? You know, the Cyrus God names here in our passage is known in our history as Cyrus the Great. He's also known as Cyrus II or Cyrus the Elder. He reigned over Persia between 539 to 530 BC. And he's known to have expanded his ancestral realm into a mighty empire. Tatlo ang, the first mighty empire was, uh, was Assyria, second was Babylon, the third was Persia. And it was because of Cyrus. You know, Cyrus is a brilliant military strategist, vanquishing the kings of the Medes, then integrated all the Iranian tribes together. That's why they became so strong. 
But you know, what made Cyrus unique and famous among other conquerors was his tolerance and mercy to those he defeated. Other conquerors, other, when they defeat their enemy, either they kill them, wipe them out, or take them as slaves. But it was Cyrus, no, he was kind. He showed mercy to those whom he conquered. Across the lands that he conquered, he returned images of their gods that had been seized in battle in Babylon. But his most renowned act of mercy was that he freed the captive Jews and others whom Nebuchadnezzar II has forced into exile in Babylon. He let them go. He let them go back to their home. Cyrus allowed them to return to Jerusalem, their homes, their promised land. And all of these that Cyrus did are recorded in this famous archaeological discovery known as the Cyrus Cylinder. This was actually discovered 1879 and is housed today in the British Museum. It is believed to have been made at the order of King Cyrus himself, Pinagawasha ni King Cyrus. It records everything that he did, conquered, and let the people go as a propaganda to gain the support among his conquered people. Para siyang poster, no? Or newspaper detailing his conquest and his... his uh, his willingness to let the people go back to their homes to be vassal nations under the Persian Empire so that he will have the support, so that the people will love him. It's also written there how, how, how Cyrus led the Jews back to Jerusalem. You know, this was estimated to have been made 539 BC. Again, at the orders of King Cyrus. But what is more amazing is that a writing of similar account was written 100 years before Cyrus was even born. This records what he did, but what, before he did it, uh, also uh, uh, an account of it was already written. Even before Babylon conquered and captured the Jews by a prophet of, a Lord, of the Lord named Isaiah, which is the passage we have just read today. Isaiah's ministries and prophecies was way before all this happened in history. And yet, it was spot on. The difference between the biblical account and the Cyrus Cylinder is that this, our biblical account recorded prophecy revealed who actually planned all of it and why he made it happen. And who made it happen? Who made all of Cyrus' conquest happened and possible. It was the Lord. It was the Lord, the Holy One of Israel who ordained all of it. And he did it so that his own people and the rest of the world will know, including Cyrus, will know that Yahweh is not just a God of Israel, but the God of the whole earth. Look at your Bibles. We didn't read it earlier, so I want to read it to you today. Sabi niya dito, sabi niya kay Cyrus, I will go before you and level the exhaust. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. 
For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other God besides me. There is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being, which is shalom, and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Why did God anoint Cyrus to be his instrument of deliverance? What is he trying to teach his people and the whole world for that matter? That he is sovereign over all. That he controls everything. And he can use anyone or anything to accomplish his will. God is sovereign. He controls everything. He can use anything or anyone to do his will. Why is this so important to understand? You see, in the ancient Near East, the time of the Old Testament and New Testament, their beliefs about deities of gods is that they are confined geographically or demographically. Every nation has their own gods that they worship, who protects them and provides for them. Their power and jurisdiction is limited to the land or the people who serves them. And when two nations battle each other, it is also a test of strength between their gods. The winning nation means they have stronger gods than the losing one. Let me better explain this to young kids who might not understand this. Parang Pokemon battle lang yan. Kung sino may mas malakas na Pokemon, sino, mana, sino mas malakas na Pokemon, siya yung, mas pana, siya yung mananalo. When nations battle, kung talo ka, ay bulok God mo. Kung panalo ko, ay superior yung God ko. That's how they think. And it will not be surprising if the Jews themselves who worship the Lord, the one true God of all creation, think of their God that way. Even the Jews. Kahit na sinabi sa God that He is the God of the universe, they might still think that way because the rest of the world thinks that way. They limit God only to be their national God, not the universal God that He truly is. That He is limited. Remember their complaint from chapter 40? Chapter 40, verse 27, because they are exiled in Babylon, what do they think? What do you say, O Jacob, O speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. That they are trapped in Babylon, God does not hear them. They limit God. You know, when things weren't going their way, they have the sense that God is limited. God is unable to help them. God is unable to help his own people. But you know, actually, many times, we think the same way too. Diba? When things aren't going our way, we think the same thing. We ask the same questions. Lord, why? Why would you allow these bad things to happen to me? 
Don't you love me at all? Don't you care for me at all? Or maybe you're just too powerless to do anything about it. We limit God. We, co- we also compartmentalize God. We put it in a certain compartment. Hanggang dun lang siya. We think that God is only concerned for the spiritual and He has nothing to do with the secular. Kung lawabas ng church na to, wala nang kinalaman si Lord doon. Sometimes we think that God has nothing to do with science. God has nothing to do with politics. God has nothing to do with business plans, with our careers, with our relationship. We say, we think my faith belongs to God, but my love life, my career, they belong to me. Ako bahala dyan. Walang pakailamanan, Lord. And sometimes you only think God provides for us when it comes through unexpected means. Oy, may angpaw ako. Blessing ito ni Lord. Diba? We always take angpaw, blessing ni Lord. Oy, nanalo ako ng kotse sa alumni homecoming raffle. Galing to kay God. Hindi kay Anya Oli. You know, kung unexpected, yun lang. Blessing ni Lord. When in fact, God constantly provides for us through our jobs, through our annoying bosses, through bank interests, through our investments, through our businesses, through the pandemic, and even through vaccines. Inisip natin yung vaccines, hindi yan galing kay God, galing science yan. Everything belongs to God. The Bible says, unless the, builder, uh, unless the Lord builds a house, the builder builds in vain. I know many of us are tired and frustrated of our jobs. And we always wish that God, God bless me with something so that I don't have to work anymore. You know, I used to think that way too. But during the pandemic, when so many lost their jobs and closed down their businesses, I started to realize that, you know, having work and being able to work is a blessing from God. That is how God provides for us. You see how sovereign God is? God is sovereign over all. He's not just confined in the four walls of our church. He works to sustain all creation every day. Not just those who believe in Him, even those who do not. And He controls everything. And He can use anyone or anything to accomplish His will. Even a pagan king to rescue his own people. Even your annoying boss to provide for you. Because God is not limited. He is unlimited. That is why he chose Cyrus to teach his people and the whole world that he is sovereign. He is in control of everything. So the next question is, if God is sovereign and controls everything, what about our own will? What about our own will? Do we have a say on what God chooses to do? Do we have a say? The next verses will answer this question. Look at your Bibles, verse 9 to 10. Sabi niya, Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. 
Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or your work has no handles. Woe to him who says to a father, What are you begetting? Or to a woman, What are you in labor? Do you remember in school um, when you were a kid and you did something wrong, whether intentional or accidental, and your classmate starts to go around you and tease you, Halaka, patay ka, lagot ka kay teacher. Do you remember that time? And that sudden feeling of dread comes to you. Your eyes wide open and you start to feel cold sweat forming on your head. And you want to run and hide, you know, but you know there's no point running and there's no place to hide and you realize you're dead. Nalala niyo yun? Yung feeling na yun? Well, that is the same feeling when the Bible tells us, woe. Not W-O-W, ah. W-O-E. It should make us feel the same way. Isaiah felt that way when he came before the presence of the holy God, sinful as he says, as he is. He says, woe is me, meaning I'm dead because I'm a man of unclean lips. You know, every time God tells us woe, he's giving us a stern warning not to do something or else we're dead. Hala, halaka, patay ka. And here, God is saying woe to those who strive to oppose His will. He's saying woe if you try to go against me. He warns us of how fragile and common we are. We are only pots, sabi niya, a common household tool. You know, they are so cheap that people use them for storage. And they just break them if they, need, don't, if they need to use the items inside. Remember the woman who offered her perfume to Jesus? He broke it. She broke it. That's how common and fragile paths are. And that's how fragile we are. And so God warns us of the foolishness of opposing our Creator. The pot cannot tell the potter, why are you making me this way? God, why you make it? Why did you make me this way? Or we cannot say to God, hey, you missed something. You forgot to give me hands. You forgot to give me handles. The clay cannot say to the potter that that is simply absurd, Tamaba. And yet, as absurd as it is, that is what people do when we keep on questioning God and continue to challenge his will. You see, God knows what is in the heart of the, His people. He knows that when they hear about His plan to use Cyrus to liberate them from Babylon, they will probably complain and question God. Why, Lord? Why Him? Of all people, why can't you just raise one of us? Why can you not just make Israel the next superpower? Why a pagan Persian king who doesn't even know and worship you? Bakit siya This shows us how most people who says they believe in God really view God. They believe in a God who serves them, who gives them their heart's desire, who makes their lives easy. They worship Him as long as He answers their prayer and gives them what they want. And when disappointment comes, they leave and refuse to believe in God anymore. 
You know, if that is the case, then what they truly believe in is not a god, but a genie. Ubus na three wishes nila, never mind. They're comfortable to believe in God only if they can make God into their own image to serve them. And for me, if you have a God like that, that is no God at all. And the one true God will not have that. He says in verse 11 to 13, look at your Bibles. 11 to 13, he says, Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, the one who formed me, ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their hosts. I have stirred up, I stirred him up in righteousness, and I will make all his ways level. He shall build my city and set my exiles free, not for a price or reward, says the Lord of hosts. You see, God will not allow his children to question his action and motives. The creation can never challenge its creator. The clay can never challenge the potter. God chooses Cyrus to tell the world that his will is sovereign. He's not only the God of Israel, but the one true God of all nations, of all creation. Everyone, everything submits to him, whether they like it or not. He's not at the service of Cyrus. God did not pay him to do it. Hindi siya nakipag-deal with Cyrus. Oh, ito ha, gawin mo to. Oh, ito, bibigay ko sa'yo. No. He does not have to. God uses Cyrus, empowers Cyrus to do his will, whether, whether Cyrus was aware of it or not. God is telling us, woe to you if you continually strive to oppose me. He's teaching us that it is fatally, fatally foolish are those who stubbornly oppose God's sovereign will. Fatally foolish. I want to put fatally there. I don't know if it makes sense, but I just want to make you sure that it's foolish that it, to a point that it's deadly. It is absurd and it is fatal. And yet a lot of people still do it. They cannot accept that we don't have a part we, they cannot accept that we don't have a part to play in our salvation. They cannot believe that we can never be righteous or good enough to save ourselves. If you think God using Cyrus was crazy, what more the incarnation? God, the creator of the universe, became man born on a stinky manger and grew up as a carpenter? How can that be? You know, just thinking about it, we think that, oh, okay lang naman yun na. We don't have a problem with it. But let me tell you, when you meet Jesus face to face and he tells you that he, is, that he is God, believe me, it will make you very uncomfortable. Let's try it. Look around. Look for somebody maybe you don't know, a face that you don't know. Come on, do it. Look around. I don't see turning heads. Focus on that someone that you don't know. Or kung wala, kung nahiya ka, tumingin, the one beside you. Look at the person beside you. Maybe even a child. Kahit bata yan, okay lang. 
Okay? Do you have that person in mind? What if I tell you that he or she is God? How do you feel? Uncomfortable, diba? You want to stone me to death right now, diba? And imagine, you're God, the most powerful being in the universe, who created the world with just His words, who gave you life by just breathing on you, naked and bloody, hanging on the cross. And He tells you, I'm doing this because I'm saving you. Can you imagine? How would you feel? What would you think? You know, I realize now that if I was there, I also wouldn't be able to believe that that guy hanging on that cross with criminals is my God. Are you sure you are saving me? I think you're the one who needs saving. That will be my thought. And yet that is how God chooses to bring us salvation. And that's why so many cannot believe it, cannot accept it. Why does God do what He chooses to do? He has His reason. We can be sure of that. Whether He wants us to know or not, that is up to Him. We have no right to demand nor criticize Him according to what He thinks is right. He is God, not us. He is Creator. We are merely creatures. Now let me be clear. Questioning God, asking God for answers is not wrong. Job did that, and yet God did not find fault in him. What is wrong is when we continually oppose his will, not accepting his will for our lives and our salvation. What is wrong is when we continue to do things in our own terms and not accepting and submitting to his terms. Those are the people who strive against the sovereign God. The question is, are we those people Are we those people? If so, then woe to us. God is sovereign. He controls everything and can use anyone or anything to do His will. Whether we like it or not, whether we agree to it or not, whether it makes sense to us or not, and God warns us, fatally foolish are those who stubbornly oppose God's sovereign will. Because we can never change that. He will always be sovereign. Now that we understand these two important truths that God is teaching us, what should be our response? I believe our response is simple when we know this. We must align our will to God's sovereign will. If we know that we cannot bend God's will to ours, then we bend our will to His. Now, you know, that might sound harsh or miserable. It sounds like we are left with no choice. We have no choice but to submit. But we must understand what is in the heart of God. What is He trying to accomplish? Verse 8 tells us that. Look at your Bibles. Verse 8 tells us, Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. 
You know, God is not commanding us to submit to His will for His own sake, but for our own good. God's sovereign will is to bring salvation to His people and to lead them in righteousness. God's sovereign will is what is best for us. It brings us salvation. It leads us to life. It leads us to a life of righteousness. So actually, it is worth it and wise to align our will to His. You see, the key in aligning our will to His is not a matter of submitting. You know, so wrestling, submit, iniikot yung kamay mo, pinipilit. No, hindi yun yung goal. The key in aligning our will to His is not just a matter of submitting our life to the will of God. Yes, at first, it may seem that way. It seems hard. It's painful. But the goal is to prefer, preferring the will of God for our lives because we know that His will is best for us. So when we know that God is sovereign, He controls everything, and it is fatally foolish to go against His will, what should we do? We align our will to God's sovereign will. And the first thing to do, how do we do it? It's simple, to accept His terms of salvation. As God wants the Jew to accept Cyrus as his anointed deliverer, he wants all of us to accept his Son our Lord and Sav- as our Lord and Savior. The Bible tells us Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. Good job. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you you will be saved. That is his term of salvation. You want to align your will to God's sovereign will? Accept his terms of salvation. Trust in Jesus. Trust him as your Lord and Savior. That is the most important, yet the simplest way, the starting point in aligning our will to his. If you don't want to do this, then you can never align your will to his. Second thing you can do is allow God to use you for His purpose. If God can use a pagan king to accomplish His purpose, how much more someone who is submitted to His will? You know, when one who is fully submitted to the will of God came 2,000 years ago, through him, God was able to bring salvation to the whole creation. How about you? How will you let our God use you to accomplish His purpose? Maybe to testify about Him, to serve Him in full-time ministry, or to share His gospel through your business? Remember, God is not just the God, it's not just God inside the church. He is sovereign. He works through anyone or anything and anywhere. We should not limit what God can do through us. Align your will to His sovereign will by allowing Him to use your life to accomplish His purpose. And you will be surprised. Maybe your annoying boss will repent and also trust in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, UECP, we have a sovereign God who controls everything. He can use anyone or anything to accomplish His will. Therefore, 
we must align our will to his sovereign will by trusting and following Jesus Christ, the one he chose to be our Lord and Savior. And woe, it is fatally foolish not to do so. Shall we bow down in prayer? Father in heaven, we just want to give thanks for this passage. Lord, it might not be easy to accept the first time we hear it that you will use a pagan to save your people. And yet the crazier thing is you came down from heaven to earth, became one of us, suffered more than any of us, to grant us this precious salvation. Help us, Lord, to accept your good grace, your terms of salvation that is only found in Jesus Christ. And Father, help us to entrust our lives to you. We might not see or understand the whole plan, but we just look at your heart and we know that you have what is best for us. So we submit our lives to you. We align our will to yours. Use us mightily for your kingdom so that the world may know that you are the one true God, gracious and merciful, loving and sacrificial. And in you, in you alone, comes salvation. May you reign in us. May you reign in our lives. Be sovereign in our lives. And let our lives be a glory unto you. We pray this in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, your anointed one, our true shepherd. Amen and amen.